Brian Legg, and I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team here at TBA, and we are so glad that you are here to worship with us today. You know, we kicked off a, a new series about three weeks ago, and, and we're actually wrapping it up today, but the series was called Jesus Is, and we've been looking at different aspects of who Jesus is. We looked the first week at the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. The second week we talked about him as the Son of Man. Last week, Stivey talked about Jesus being the Lion and the Lamb, and then this week, I want to look at a very simple aspect of who Jesus is and how that really impacts us, and it's simply that Jesus is our everything. He is our everything. You and I would not exist today if it were not for Jesus. If you remember, we learned from John 1 how Jesus literally was the Word, and the Word was in the beginning. He was at the beginning of creation. He existed before time. He was part of creation. In fact, Jesus breathed life into you and I. He breathed life into all living things. And the skit showed that so powerfully. Did you notice how at the beginning Jesus comes to the girl and, and he's really awakening her to life? I mean, literally breathing life into her. And he's showing her a picture of creation that, honestly, you and I don't understand. Because he's showing her his perfect creation. He's awakening her to the way it was supposed to be. Perfect relationship with him. Life without pain and struggle and brokenness that we all experience. Perfect relationship. A few weeks ago I used a story from Mark 1. And I was talking about how even the angels and the demons recognized that Jesus was the Son of God. And if you remember the story, Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And this man comes in who's possessed by an evil spirit. And he interrupts Jesus as he's teaching. And he calls him out and says, you are the son of God. And he begs him to leave him alone because he knows what Jesus is there to do. But there was a really cool part in the story. We kind of skipped over that week because it didn't matter that day. But I want you to go back and see it today if you would. In Mark chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says this. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. That phrase, we run across that very easily. He taught with real authority. Well, of course he did. He's Jesus, right? But what does that really mean? See, that's an important phrase because that word authority actually means out of the original stuff. Jesus taught out of the original stuff because he was there. He knew it. He understood it. it comes, it's the same root word as the word author. The same root word that forms author formed the word authority. So we get them both from the same word. And Jesus is teaching as if he is the author of life. Because he is. He understood it. He was there in creation. He breathed life into you and I and all living things. But just like in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden and perfect creation, Satan comes slithering in and sneaking in and causing distraction and causing our attention to be drawn to something else. And he begins to drive a wedge in the relationship. Just like in the skit, you watch the boyfriend do that. Now, I'm a dad of three daughters, so that's how I see boys. Boys are deceptive and sneaky and slithery, and they just work their way in and distract. Sorry for all you young boys in the audience. This past week, my oldest daughter had her first date according to her she's 13 so she's not allowed to date yet let's make that clear but I want to tell you the story from my perspective instead of from hers here's how it went she got to go to the movies with her daddy and when we went to the movies I allowed her to sit on the row in front of me actually it was me and her whole family to make it even worse 
But I allowed her to sit on the row in front of me, but she was well within earshot, and I could see her the whole time. She was in plain sight. She happened to have a friend sitting beside her who was a boy. And on the other side, she had a friend that was not a boy, along with some other friends. But the boy was well within arm's reach, and I made sure he knew that, and I kept it that way throughout the entire movie. And I'm pretty sure he was fairly nervous when I walked up to him and introduced myself at the theater before we even went into the movie, and I very firmly shook his hand to introduce myself and tell him who I was. It went okay. They hardly talked. They barely looked at each other. And when the movie was over, he went to his house and we went to ours. It was good. I would say it was a success. But in all seriousness, think about how easy it is for things like that to become distracting in our relationship with Christ. It may be a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or it may be some other relationship, or maybe it's not even a relationship at all, but it doesn't take much to distract us, does it? To just pull our attention away from Jesus a little bit. Did you see how that happened? She's focused completely upon him. The relationship's perfect. They're, they're dancing in sync, and they're doing life together, and he's revealing all of his perfect creation to her. And then one little thing happens, and she's distracted, and she's pulled away. And then there's another distraction, and then another one. And then those distractions turn into obstacles, and those obstacles turn into real struggles to the point that we finally hit this place where we're just completely overwhelmed. And we find ourselves in that place where we wonder, can we even find Jesus, and can he really help? There's a story in Mark 2 where Jesus comes back to Capernaum a second time. He's been out in the, the region of Galilee teaching and, and doing miracles, and so people have become aware of who he is and what's going on. They're excited about him. So he comes back to Capernaum, and the house he's staying in is suddenly filled with people, everybody wanting to hear him teach, everybody wanting to see the miracles he's doing and experience life with Jesus. And there's these guys that are going to bring a man to him that's paralyzed, and they, they bring him in on a cot because they want Jesus to heal him. And they can't even get to him in the house because it's so crowded. Pick up the story with me in Mark chapter 2, at the second half of verse 2. It says, While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Imagine being in that room. And then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. That's kind of an odd thing to say, isn't it? Your sins are forgiven? I mean, these guys obviously brought this man to Jesus so that he would heal him, so that he would correct whatever condition he had that was causing him to be lame and allow him to walk again. But that's not what Jesus does. He says, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees, they weren't going to let that slide. I mean, they immediately start muttering and complaining, and, and watch what happens as it continues in verse 6. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? It's easier to say to, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. Now think about this story for a minute. Jesus 
obviously has the ability to do this amazing miracle. He heals the guy. The guy jumps up. He doesn't just like stand up and stretch his legs. He jumps up from his mat, rolls it up, and walks out. But Jesus started by saying, your sins are forgiven. Why? Why would he start there? This is one of those things that's kind of been debated for years, and some theologians take the stance to say, well, it's because his sin was what made him lame. His sin caused the sickness that he had. I don't quite buy into that. I wouldn't agree with that. I, I, don't, I don't think that's what happened with this man. I think that there are physical consequences of sin, absolutely. We experience them all the time. But I don't think that's the case in this story. In fact, I think Jesus is simply looking beyond the physical problems because he sees there's something much deeper within the guy that he needs to know. He's looking beyond those physical consequences and looking into the heart of this guy and choosing to heal him at his point of greatest need. See, Jesus looks at him and he knows that not being able to walk is the least of this guy's issues. I think we get caught up a lot of times in the legalism of what sin is and what sin is not. We're busy checking the boxes. Well, if I do this, but I don't do that, it'll be good. But man, if I do that, I'm going to be in trouble. And here's the problem with that thinking. Sin in our lives is not just about doing wrong. We can't just break it down to the simple list of do's and don'ts. See, sin can be as simple as rebelling against God by living without appropriate focus on Him. Without making Him our reference point in life. Being distracted. It can be that simple. Coming to a place where we say, I'll decide how I want to live my life. Or basically, what we're saying is, I'd rather be my own God than surrender to you, God. I'll make my own decisions. But see, Jesus looked beyond the physical issues. He looked beyond the symptoms and he looked at the core need that this guy had. And I think that's where a lot of us get tripped up so easily. We ask God to heal our symptoms instead of allowing him to heal our deepest wounds. Let that sink in a second. We ask God to heal our symptoms instead of allowing him to heal our deepest wounds. It's like trying to put a Band-Aid on a wound that needs stitches. It's not going to work very well. You can't pull it together. You can't close it up. You can't make it heal the way it's supposed to. And we look at Jesus and we ask him to do this because he's the great physician. And he is. But Jesus wants to heal us from the inside out rather than from the outside in. And that tends to be how we look at it. And just a few verses after this encounter, Jesus is walking along from this and he calls a tax collector to be his disciple, Matthew. And I love what happens because he says he goes to his house for dinner afterwards and Matthew invites all of his buddies in for dinner. And it's the other tax collectors and as the scripture puts it, the sinners. And the Pharisees are talking to Jesus' disciples and they go, why does your master eat with the scum? Why does he eat with these people? Why does he hang out with them? He's better than this. And I love how Jesus responds. Verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. See, Jesus knows us at our very core. He knows everything about us, every action, every thought, every struggle and pain, and yet he loves us. And he wants relationship with us. I don't know if you paid attention today, but as that skit was unfolding, even as she got distracted and started turning to different things, did you notice what Jesus did? As he stood here, he just kept talking to her. He kept inviting her. He kept encouraging her not to look to those things. He kept trying to draw her back to himself. But it wasn't forceful at all. See, at any point he could have stepped in and stopped all of that. 
He could have gotten rid of all the struggle, but he didn't. He just kept calling to her, inviting her, wooing her, and encouraging her. He never once forced his will. He wants a relationship with us, but he won't force that upon us. That's that picture of perfect love. We have to choose. There's a story in Mark 10 where Jesus has an encounter with a guy that's labeled as the rich young man. And if the story were told today, I think it would go something like this. This young man who's wealthy comes up to Jesus and he says, Your master, tell, tell me what it is that I need to do to be saved. What is it that I need to do to be able to go to heaven? And Jesus looks at him and he says, Well, live right. I mean, do the right thing. Don't cheat on your wife and you know, don't mistreat your employees and, and live with integrity and honesty within your family and your workplace and, and wherever you go and treat people with respect and just do the right thing. And the guy looks at him and he says, yeah, but Jesus, I'm a good guy. I've done all those things since I was a kid. I mean, that's how I've always been. I, I've been a good guy. So what's the deal? And Jesus looks at him and says, yeah, but there's one thing you're missing. There's one thing you're missing. You're counting on you and all your stuff to take care of you instead of counting on me. You're counting on you instead of me. Go home. Have an estate sale. Get rid of all your stuff. Clean out your closets. Clean out your garage. Sell it all and give the money to the poor. And when you're done and you've got all those leftovers, donate those too. Donate them to the local shelter. Get rid of all of it and just trust me. And let's do life together. And the guy droops his head and he's sad because he's got a lot of stuff. And he walks away, not willing to make that decision, not willing to trust God. See, I think the guy came to Jesus looking for a quick fix. He wanted to know, what's that one simple thing I can do that will make it all better? Jesus, what's that thing that if I just change this, this little bit, it will make it better and I'll, I'll make it to heaven and life will be good? But Jesus didn't respond with a quick and easy fix. It sounds quick and easy, you know, go sell your stuff, but that's not easy. See, that's a hard truth that he had to face. And I wonder with us what happens when Jesus gives us that hard truth. Because isn't that what we tend to do? We come to Jesus looking for the quick fix. What's that one little thing I can do? What's the one thing I can fix? And when he says the hard thing to us, how do we respond I love watching the encounter between Jesus and his disciples right after the story. The disciples, they didn't get it. They see the rich young man walk away and, and they're having trouble following because you've got to understand the context of that day when you had a lot of money, that showed that you were righteous. Those who were following God and doing the right things, they were the ones that were wealthy. And so the disciples are looking at it going, what's this mean? And watch how Jesus responds here. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. For the kingdom of God. And this amazed them, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Well, then who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and he said, Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. And that phrase pretty much sums it up. That last line, human speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. See, I'd suggest that you and I are just like the girl in the skit. Life happens, distractions come along, 
struggles overwhelm us, temptations and circumstances, they may look different. It may not be exactly the same, the details, but we could all put ourselves in that same story. We've been there, we walked there, we know what that looks like. And we find ourselves in that similar position, position, helpless, unable to overcome on our own, lost and disillusioned with life. And the only way that will ever change is for us to turn to Jesus and run to him with desperation. We're faced with the choice, the same as the rich young man. When we hear truth spoken into our lives, what do we do with it? Do we turn and walk away, continuing to do life like we've always done it? Or do we turn and run to Jesus? I don't know if you paid attention, but did you notice what happened when she turned to him near the end? She's been through all these trials, all these struggles, all these obstacles. And finally, she turns to Jesus and she's fighting, trying to get back to him. And you notice what he doesn't do? He doesn't just get rid of her obstacles. She has to fight through them. She's got to push through them. And she's working as hard as she can work to get to Jesus. She's running to him. And what's he doing? The whole time he's pulling her, like he's pulling a rope, pulling her to himself. It's like the rope is attached to her on one end and to him on the other. And he just keeps pulling her to himself. And no matter how hard the struggle, no matter how much she fights, even when she gets knocked down, he pulls her up and continues to pull her to himself, just keeps pulling until at some point he steps in between the sin and the obstacles and her. And did you notice how he did that? He steps in with arms outstretched, just like he did on the cross for you and I. And it's at that moment that she has that little bit of relief, that she has that moment where she can take a deep breath because he stopped the obstacles from coming into her life. But the obstacles didn't quit. Did you notice how they kept fighting over top of him and trying to push through to get to her? But he was standing in the gap in between her and those obstacles, those sins. And then at one point, he knocks them all flat. And he shows his ultimate power to overcome death and to overcome the grave, just like he rose from the dead 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday. He showed his mighty power that is reflected in our lives, and that's how we have power to overcome obstacles, because of what he did See, there's not room for anything else to come between us and Jesus in the relationship. He has to be the most important relationship in our lives. But we have to choose to surrender to him. Because if we don't, we'll be just like that girl, fighting our own battles all the time with no help and losing miserably. But when we turn to him and run to him and he draws us to himself... It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean struggles are going to go away. It doesn't mean things aren't going to happen to us. But it means we have victory and we can have hope in that because he will come between. This morning we're going to, in just a few moments, come and receive communion. And communion is a, a great symbolic act of worship that we do where we remember all that Jesus has done for us and, and we remember what our future looks like with him. We, we're reminded of the hope that we have and it's a big deal. But as we come and receive communion this morning, I want to ask you a question that I think is critical. And the question is this. Is Jesus the most important relationship in your life? Is he the most 
important. Above everything else, see today, just like 2,000 years ago, Jesus is still speaking truth into our lives and into our hearts. Just like he did to the rich young man, he's speaking those hard things to us and helping us to look deeper than what we see as our symptoms on the outside. And I wonder, what is he speaking to you? Maybe you sit here this morning and, and you come from a place that, that you realize you've never even made a commitment to Christ. You don't even know what it looks like to have a relationship with him. But you can feel him tugging at your heart and you know that he's speaking to you. And he's inviting you to that, just like he was inviting that girl in the skit. He won't be forceful. He's not going to demand his own way. He's just inviting you and wooing you to be a part of that relationship. Some of you made that commitment a long time ago, but you find yourself just like the girl where those little distractions get in the way and they take your focus off of Jesus. Sometimes it's little things that just kind of take you a little off center. Sometimes it's a big thing to where you feel completely overwhelmed and you don't know what to do. What obstacles have popped up in your life? What is Jesus asking you to trust him with? Just some logistics as you come to receive communion this morning. There's going to be three stations here along the front, and there's two stations in the back, one at each corner at a table, and our ushers are standing there by those stations. But here's how I'm going to ask you to respond. And I know this will be somewhat chaos with a lot of people in the room and only five locations to go to, but if you're sitting there this morning and God's speaking to your heart and he's sharing one of those truths with you that you need to wrestle with or something that you need to surrender to him, I want to challenge you to be bold enough to come to the front of the room to receive communion. And as you do so, I'm going to ask you to take one of these rolls of masking tape. It's just plain $1 masking tape from Walmart, nothing special. And grab a Sharpie. There's Sharpies laying beside it. And I want you to write a word on the masking tape that represents that struggle for you. And you can write it however you want. If you need to write it in some code so nobody knows, fine. If you think it's going to be scary to come, look at how people responded in first service. You can see the tape all over the rope. In fact, I skipped about five minutes at the end of my message in first service because somebody responded before I even got to the response time. It was awesome. But take a moment and write that word on the tape and just tape it to the rope. And all this is is a symbol of you saying, I'm surrendering this to you, God, and I'm asking you to pull me through this. I'm asking you to stand in the gap for me and make the difference because I can't do it on my own. And it doesn't matter if it's a small distraction or a major thing. Some people wrote other people's names. Some people wrote things like their family. It doesn't matter what it is. What is that truth he's speaking to you? Maybe it's something deeply personal to you. And what I'm going to commit to you is that this week, our pastors are going to take these pieces of tape and we're going to pray over them. We don't know whose it is. We don't know who wrote anything. If you want to be bold enough to write your name, feel free. You don't have to. We'll pray for you by name if you do. But write that obstacle and stick it to the tape, just symbolic that you're surrendering that to Jesus. And then I would encourage you to take a moment here at the front and just pray. And ask God to truly take that in your life, to take control of that, allow you to surrender that to him before you come and receive communion. If you're in a place this morning where things are good and your relationship's right on cue and where it needs to be and you're walking stride for stride with Jesus, that's wonderful. I would encourage you to go to one of the back stations and receive communion so that you can just enjoy communion. 
And that's not you saying that you're perfect or you have it all together because none of us do. If you think that, you need to come up front and write that on your masking tape. But it's okay. If you're in a good place this morning, God bless you. That's great. Go to the back and receive communion. But if you need to write something down, be bold enough to come up here and do it. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. And he's giving them instructions about the Lord's Supper. And the church had been having some struggles. They had had some distractions that had come into place. And in reality, Paul's asking them a question very similar to the one that I'm asking you this morning. He's saying, will you allow Jesus to examine your heart, to speak truth to you, and will you trust him and surrender that area of your heart to him? Are you going to make that relationship more important than everything else in life? And Paul's really clear as he talks to the church at Corinth. He says, if you're not in a place where things are good between you and Jesus... Don't come and receive the elements. Don't participate in the Lord's Supper. This isn't for everyone. The Lord's Supper is set aside for those who have committed to Him as their Lord and Savior and who have taken that time to allow Him to examine their hearts and make sure that things are right. So don't make light of this this morning. If you don't come receive communion at all, it's okay. If you've not made that decision and that's not where you are, that's okay. You won't be judged here. I promise that you will be loved and this is a safe place. By the same token, if you come, you need to put six pieces of masking tape on. Okay. You won't be judged for that either. We're all in different places in our walk in life. We're facing different struggles. All I ask is that you be obedient and that you allow Jesus to examine your heart and dig deeper than that little scratch at the surface, the symptoms that you see, to dig into that deep wound. See, 2,000 years ago, Jesus stood, and in one hand he held some bread, and in the other hand he held the wine. And he said, this is my body, and this is my blood. And the disciples didn't realize it at the time because they didn't understand all that he had taught them. But what Jesus was really saying was, this has been a picture of redemption for you for many, many years. You see this as a picture of redemption because the Israelites were freed from slavery in Egypt. And that's a great picture. And you remember that night where lambs were slain and the blood was put on the doorpost so the death angel would pass over. That's why we celebrate Passover. But as Jesus stood that night, he was saying, my body and my blood because I am the perfect sacrificial lamb that will be sacrificed for you tomorrow and you don't even know it. And I will redeem the world from sin and from obstacles and from brokenness and all that we face. So when we receive the elements, we're reminded of all those things. We're reminded of his deliverance of us. We're reminded of his sacrifice. And today, especially as we celebrate Easter today, when we receive communion, we're also remembering ahead. We're looking to the future to know what Jesus has done and the power that he's given us in our lives because he overcame death and he overcame the grave and he rose. And that's why we can celebrate today. So I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you to come and to receive the elements. One last kind of important logistic. Here at TBA we use a method called intinction and that's really just a big fancy word that means take the cracker, dip it in the cup and then eat the cracker. Please do not pick up the cup and drink out of it. Some people are not going to like that if they're behind you. But allow this time to be a time just between you and God. Allow it to be a time where Jesus speaks to your heart 
and examines you at the deepest level. And then be honest about it with yourself and with him. And you respond how he's leading you, whatever that may be. Let's pray and then you come. God, we just thank you that you are speaking to our hearts this morning. We thank you that you love us and that you care deeply about us and that you continue to speak to us today as you have for many, many years. God, we're thankful that you look beyond the, just the symptoms of our wounds to the deepest part of us. And your goal is always to heal and to love and to restore and to redeem. And I just pray that you would do that this morning, that you would redeem us. Help us to be honest with ourselves and with you and to allow you to truly examine our hearts and give us courage to respond in obedience. We just offer this time to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The band's going to play, and I would encourage you to come and receive communion right here on the masking tape and place it on the rope. If you have not received Christ as your Savior and you want to pray with someone about that, I'm going to be over here in this far corner, and I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Come when you're ready.